You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the fabulous Feinstein's 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder, please take this moment to silence your cell phones. Also, there is no flash photography, please. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Fine Science 54 Below podcast, where we bring you conversations with all your favorite musical theater artists. I'm Nella Vera, the club's director of marketing. As many of you know, the club has been closed since March, which has been, to be honest, very tough on us, particularly most of our staff who has been furloughed for many months now. I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has contributed to the GoFundMe for the staff. They greatly appreciate it. And to all of you who have dropped us notes of support, we can't wait to reopen and welcome everybody back. A handful of us have been working on a streaming series called 54 Below Premieres. To find out more information about the shows in the series, please visit 54below.com slash premieres. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by artists from our third show in the series. I'll drink to that. Here's to the girls who stay smart. Aren't they a gas? I'm so thrilled to say that we are joined by the host and producer of one of our most celebrated and popular series, Sondheim Unplugged, along with one of the stars from the show. Phil Jeffrey Bond created the award-winning and long-running monthly series, Sondheim Unplugged, in 2010 and has been its producer and host ever since. He has served as director of programming for the Duplex, the Laurie Beachman Theater, as well as Feinstein's 54 Below, where he later became director of original programming. He is a writer also, and his novel, The Last Year at Low Tide, is currently available on Amazon, as are his other titles, My Queer Youth, Small Town Confessions, The Fall of Mrs. Parsons, The Disney Diaries, and all the sad young men. Phil is the recipient of seven Mac Awards, those are the Manhattan Cabaret Awards, two Backstage Bistro Awards, a Broadway World Award, and a Nightlife Award. Welcome, Phil. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and thanks for doing this. Our next guest, Lucia Spina, made her Broadway debut with the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee in 2006. Since then, she has appeared in several other Broadway shows, including Kinky Boots, 
South Pacific, Legally Blonde, and Les Miserables. Off-Broadway, she originated roles in Silence the Musical and Fugitive Songs. She also toured the country with Legally Blonde, and her regional work includes appearances at Good Speed Opera House, Long Wharf Theater, Baltimore Center Stage, Barrington Stage, Milwaukee Rep, Chicago Shakespeare Theater, and many more. She was awarded Best Female Vocalist in Broadway World's 2015 Cabaret Awards. Welcome to the podcast, Lucia. Hi, Nella. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy that you're both able to join us today. I want to start by asking you both how you're doing. The industry has been shut down for many months and uh, just want to know how you're doing and how you've been keeping busy during this shutdown. I'll let Lucia go first. Oh, okie dokie. Um, I'm doing quite well and I feel kind of bad saying that because I know so many people aren't, but I mean, do I have employment? No. And my income? No, all these things. But uh, 2019 was a very, very busy year for me and I I don't know where it went. Um, so to have this kind of forced downtime is kind of a dream in a lot of ways. Um, cause I don't know when I'm going to get this kind of time again. So I'm trying just to give into the fact that there's nothing we can control right now other than wearing your face masks and staying the hell at home people. So I'm just enjoying it with my dog, Bruce, and trying to get a bunch of stuff done that I've never been able to do. And it is what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Philip. Well, I left New York City in 2011, and I left, um, uh, you know, my last job at, at uh, Feinstein's 54 Below, um, I don't know, in 2015 or something like that. So I've been a country hermit for a few years now. So I'm sort of used to this. So um, I sort of live like this anyway, sort of isolated and out in the country, and uh, I love it. So I have no right to complain about anything, considering how badly things are for most people. So really, I'm just dandy. I have all my groceries delivered. I have everything that I need. I have a cat and a warm fireplace. So I'm just great, and my heart goes out to everyone who's not. Amazing. And, you know, it's it's funny because I'm like you, Lucia. I've I've been not enjoying the time off, but just accepting it and yeah I've been uh, working out every day which I never had time oh, to do good for you <laughs> good for you that's not something I've adopted unfortunately I have a gym in the basement and I have been working out every day <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah you started to in the beginning didn't you though yeah 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 I thought so and then you know probably <laughs> downstairs but I, you know so many people are suffering I do also yeah. sometimes feel guilty when people say how are you you know, when I say, actually, I'm okay. I have my dog. I have a boyfriend. So it's our own little pod and we're, we're fine. You know, we're, it's not, it's not like super fun times, but we've got Netflix, no. we've got books. Right. And we're just waiting for this to be over and looking forward. But I do get very sad when I think about my friends who are suffering and my heart just breaks for everybody in the industry. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you, if I thought about that, all day long, I'd, I'd be a nutcase. Um, I, I try to do what I can to help my friends out and do what I can to help others in, in their money-making ventures and things like that. And if anybody needs anything, they know they can come to me and I will give them anything and spirit home, whatever you need. But it's just, there's, it's so hard. It's so, so hard. And with numbers rising across the country and LA doesn't have enough ICUs, it's just, 
yeah, the rest of the country is going through what we went through right now. And it's, it's really heartbreaking to watch that. Yeah. We're going to talk about Sondheim Unplugged in a second, but I do want to mention that Phil was the host of the former incarnation of this podcast back in the early days of Fine Science 54 Below. In fact, it was even before the name change. So it was just the 54 Below podcast back then. Podcasting was so new, Phil. You were such a pioneer. <laughs> Did you know anything about podcasting when you launched? Oh, I barely knew what a podcast was, but it didn't really matter because I was so enamored of the people I got to talk to. I mean, I think we did Liz Calloway and Sherry Renee Scott and Barbara Carroll and, um, oh gosh, I can't even remember all. It, it, we did like 20 of them and uh, I, I loved it and I was fascinated by all those people. So it was really easy. I just prepared the night before. You know, I knew a lot about them already, but I did a little research and, and asked what I thought were interesting questions that people might want to know about. And we went into a room for 30 minutes and just had a nice chat. So I, I love doing it and I love that they're preserved. And, and the lady who put them together is a really talented lady. Her first name was Josie. I don't remember her last name, but she really edited it so carefully with clips and things like that. Like when we did Donna McKechnie, she had clips, uh, sound clips from a chorus line and things like that. So she was just so smart and made them so artful. Yeah, that podcaster had a real producer when it launched. I think she was like an NPR producer. And uh, of course, it wasn't a sustainable model back then. So that podcast went away. And then we relaunched last year, and now it's just our staff produces it, and we've had to teach ourselves everything. Luckily, more people have these types of skills now than they did then. And Broadway Podcast Network, who hosts us, uh, provides amazing resources to us. So we're able to just record things and have conversations with our artists, and and you know they deal with pushing it out, and they deal with the technical part of it on the on the back end. Well, wonderful. Right. Glad to see it's back. Uh, yeah. I Phil, I. <laughs> Am I a bad friend? I don't think I know you had a podcast at 54. Yeah, right when we opened, uh, it was the, the oh, owner. Wow. There. And I did most of them, and they did a few of them, and Scott Whitman did a few of them. Oh, um, wow. They had, uh, really good recordings out there with all kinds of famous Yeah, people. they're great. They're, they're, oh. We still pay for them to be out there. As you should. Do find them. Yeah, they still... You know, they're in on the internet, and people can find the early ones, which were really lovely, just for knowing... How, about editing, I know how much work they must have been to get to the, you know, to get them edited so beautifully. Yeah, um, really. Yeah. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders, no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Okay, then. I'm ready. I'm ready now. Someone marry me a little. Love me just enough. Warm and sweet and easy. Just the simple stuff. 
keep a tender distance so we'll both be free that's the way so let's go let's go back to talking about Sondheim Unplugged can you tell us how the series came about and where it is now Sure. Well, it was uh, 2010, and uh, Stephen Sondheim had turned 60, or 60, uh, 80. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there were all of these uh, lavish uh, concert tributes. There was uh, one at Lincoln Center, and there were just so many of them. And I went to the one at uh, City Center, and it was brilliant. It was great. And as I say in the show, you know, it was very, you know, sort of formal. And Paul Gemignani, I think, had an enormous orchestra. And um, I went to see my friend Michelle Falk, but there were all kinds of great people in it. Joanna Gleason and Chip Zion were in it, who have both done the show, our show, Sondheim Unplugged, since. Um, but I thought, th this is great, but I wonder what would happen. You know, I was running the Laurie Beachman Theater at the time, and I thought, well, I want to I want to do something for Sondheim's birthday, too. But could we make it a little smaller to fit our stage and our theater that sat, um, I think we sat 80 at the time, maybe 100. So I thought, well, let's just do something with a trio and uh, we'll just make it for four performances in July. And then I thought, well, why, why even have a trio? Let's just have a piano player and we'll concentrate. That'll boil everything down and we'll really concentrate on the brilliance of the melodies and the lyrics. So that sort of birthed Sondheim Unplugged. It was only supposed to run for four Sundays in July. Um, <laughs> our very first performance, actually, the owner of the Laurie Beachman Theater, it was the 4th of July weekend and he decided to close the club for the weekend. And we had already you know, sold out. So oh, I, no. I called my friend Sidney Meyer at Duncan Mama and I said, is there any chance you could take us in? And, and gra graciously, he did. And uh, so <laughs> poor West Bank Cafe lost out on the sold out show, but they didn't want to open that weekend. So fine, we went to Duncan Mama. Wow. Anyway, then we came back to the Laurie Beachman Theater and people just kept flocking. And, and after a while, you couldn't get in. So we thought, well, let's just keep going. So we turned it into a monthly event and, and a knock whatever lucky cabaret nightclub <laughs> would. We're still running 10 years later and we're all 10 years older. And now I read somewhere that you announced London. Well, you've already done a London show, but now you're returning. Yeah. They love Sondheim in London, and uh, they're lovely audiences to play to over there. So we're going back for our fourth. Uh, we were supposed to go in. Uh, we went in February, and we were supposed to go back in May. And, of course, that got canceled. So now we're slated to be back in London in uh, July at Crazy Cox, uh, shows at, uh, I think it's 7.15 and 9.30, uh, something like that. But uh, we've we've never not sold out in London. So uh, get your tickets now. I, I think they're going on sale next week. Incredible. And do you, when you go to London, do you have London actors or do you bring over? Yeah, so far we've brought over special guests. We brought over Sarah Rice and we brought over Sally Mays. Um, and then this last show that we did, we didn't bring anyone over at all. And it was all London actors and, and it was all, you know, besides the special guests, the London actors filled out the, the cast entirely. I would love to take a New York cast over, but I need some airline and hotel to just give me free stuff. Uh, but the, okay. the cast that we have been fortunate enough to have in London are just so brilliant and, uh, very grateful for them. Our, our musical director there is a guy named Simon Beck, and he's just uh, amazingly talented. He can just work that piano every bit as well as the marvelous Joe Goodrich in New York. And uh, he is very plugged into uh, the talent scene over there. So so he really helps me cast great people. It's impressive that you've managed to sell out this show that runs every month just for 10 years and focuses on one composer. Now, of course, the composer, composer is a titan, but to what do you attribute the success of the series? And I guess, Lucia, as somebody who's performed in many of these shows, I would love for you to also answer that. 
people love Sondheim, first of all. Yeah. People love New York um, actors. I think that um, the fact that we've been able to attract such a broad array of singers from Broadway and Cabaret, all very different, all with their own unique qualities, uh, keeps people coming back because they know that it's a different show every time they come. Uh, and, and, you know, people plan their New York vacations around our performance dates, I'm happy to say. Pe- people, you know, come in from Washington, D.C. Or, or, or nearby states uh, just primarily to see our show. And then, of course, they stay and, and do their own little theater trip. But I think, you know, two things. One, they get sort of a backstage insidery experience because you're seeing all of these Broadway actors up close and personal. And two is the allure of Sondheim. So I, I think that those two things yeah. keep it, uh, keep it keep, are, are responsible for its longevity. I think it's safe to say that most of the people who come to the show are Sondheimians, you know, people who really, as Phil likes to call them, uh, people who are really gung-ho about Sondheim. And anybody who is a, a, a diehard Sondheim fan will can name everything and anything he's done. Um, and there's also the general theater goer. And then there's, you know, the people who don't know Sondheim at all, but were referred to the show by their concierge or something like that. And they walk in and it's just such a fantastically entertaining show. And even if you don't know the material, a lot of people, Sondheim can be very polarizing for people, both as performers and as audience members. But when you see it performed by the cast that we have and the way that we have, it takes away all the other constructs about Sondheim and you're really just listening to a performer talk to you and it, it hits you in a different way. And I think people are always surprised. Even the people who come month after month, they're always surprised and find something new. And I don't call them Sondheimians. I call them Sondheimites. <laughs> oh, Sondheimites. That's right. Sondheimites. Or you have to, we have to be careful that. how we say that. Um, yes. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> hilarious. Uh, the, you know, what I noticed, Phil, the thing that really sets this show apart from, you know, for Sondheim fans, apart from other Sondheim shows, is the narrative that you create when you're uh, putting together the show. So how, how do you research the material? Well, I'm fascinated by the original productions of all of these musicals. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, the biggest Sondheim nerd. I mean, not the biggest, but I'm, I'm up there. Pretty big. Uh, yeah. I would say, yeah. <laughs> I just read everything that I can I can uh, put my hands on. And, and you know, I originally wrote the script in 2010, uh, which large chunks of that script still remain in the show. Um, and it was right after Meryl Seacrest's book, the autobi-authorized uh, uh, biography of Sondheim came out. So that was enormously helpful. But all kinds of, of sources. And even since then, Sondheim's own books, Look, I made a hat. Finishing the hat and look, I made a hat have come out. So those have been enormously uh, helpful resources. Um, so, and there's still more that I don't even know. There's just so much out there. I'm a big history buff, and I love researching both, you know, what happened and the the photographs because there's so many photographs out there that we like to share with the audience in the show. Yeah, you get great photos. I think that's also part of the appeal to to people is like, yes, they're used to hearing people sing these songs, but some of the stuff that Phil dug, digs up and the way in which he presents them are just brilliant and that's what keeps the whole audience hooked in the whole time it's not just people singing sondheim songs yeah. Yeah, it's it's also i think a lot of people enjoy the special guests like you could get to hear sarah yes. greenfish and Lindenberg. you might see joanna gleason sing moments in the woods you might get to see pamela winslow sing something from into the woods um i mean we we, we jim you know we've had so many great people you know len carrie uh, jim walton Jim Walton, thank Ann you. Morrison, yeah, Chuck and Morrison, Chuck Yeah. We've had just so many great people. And that's very exciting for people who either saw the original productions or 
didn't have the opportunity to see the original productions, but see them up close and personal, you know, either doing something that they did uh, on Broadway or, or trying something new. Yeah, it's very thrilling. You know, it's, it's really thrilling when you have an original cast member who pops in. It's really um, thrilling as to share the stage with them as a performer, <laughs> yeah. because, you know, as the musical theater nerd that I am, these are people who have been in my ear on cast recordings that I know every note and moment of. And then you meet them in person and then they sing the songs that they're famous for. And you're just geeking the hell out. It's just, it's wild. It's wild. It's so special. These yeah. are, these are voices that I heard in my ear every night going to bed when I was yeah. you know, 13, 14 years old. And I yes. had, a, had a cassette player next to my bed and I would just listen to little line music all night long. And it was just, the, the sides would flip automatically on cassette, by the way, that's how old I am. Um, but these are voices that have been in my ear since adolescence. So it, it's very thrilling to work with them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we know not everybody can do Sondheim justice. And aside from original cast members that come in as special guests, what what do you look for when in performers when you're casting the shows? Um, you know, it it varies. We have a solid rep company of about fifty or sixty people who come and go. It's, it's sometimes it's a challenge just to get the whole company in a show because we do 10 a year at Fine Science Fiction Below and then others other places. Uh, so we start there. But sometimes I just see someone in another show who I think is so great and I approach them. Sometimes they approach me. Sometimes people will send me their YouTube clips or whatever. You know, I remember in uh, soon after we started Sonam Unplugged, I got a letter from a, a great singer and she sent me these YouTube clips and she said, look, I've done this, this, and this, and I'd really like to be in your shows. Can you use me for anything? And, and I listened to her YouTube clips and she was phenomenal. And so of course we brought her in and her name was Jessica Vosk. And uh, oh, oh, that's how me, you got Jess. Oh, yeah, wow. She wrote me a letter. And for years she did Sondheim and all of our shows and she was great. And she was in, in just meeting Pug Woods and everything. And uh, yeah, that, that's crazy. That's the right. fact that Jessica Vosk is sending out YouTube clips asking to be in cabaret is well, the best story I have ever heard. <laughs> but but she's a smart lady and she knows what she wants. Wonderful. Do you have a favorite show, either of you, both of you? Oh, you it's Sunday. Sunday in the Park with George is my favorite. Hands down, Sunday. Yeah, hands down. And why? Tell our audience, just some of whom are... Sondheim connoisseurs and some who are not. Well, you get to go first, Phil, since you let me. Well, Sunday is about creation. It's about yep. what you, what, what and, and as artists, of course, that speaks to us. And it's about legacy. And I think that those are two things that are very important to anyone uh, creating art today. I think it's as simple as that. Yeah. It's just, it's so, it's so deep, too. And not just as the music and the lyrics, but lapine's book is like oh you read you read the pages and it's just i feel like you know there's a lump in my chest every page every note everything it's just so it's so perfect and beautiful and and the orchestrations are just mesmerizing and when you think about how it evolved you know from an idea of a painting that you know that that one of them so i don't know if it was lapine or sondheim I think it was Lapine. And then it evolved from there. Yeah. And Lapine said the main artist, the main character is missing the artist. And Sondheim said, well, when he said that, I knew we had a show. Uh-huh. And, and that yeah. show came together in such a bizarre way. You know, it started at Playwrights Horizons and it was just the first act. And then they didn't have a second act, even when they were in previews at the booth. It wasn't finished yet. It didn't really finish until, I think, three days before opening night. They didn't finish the show. 
Um, and boy, did they finish it. They wrote Move On and it was just, it was phenomenal. But it was so many interesting developments. Like John Guare was brought in to help with the book. A lot, a lot of people don't know that. And um, I didn't know that. It was actually John Guare's, I believe, his idea to that Dot would learn to read throughout the show. Uh, that was actually his uh. idea. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, there's, there are lots of fascinating tidbits about the creation of that musical. And you can talk to Nancy Opel or you know, anyone from the original cast about it. They'll tell you. And I, I grew up in Chicago. So the... Sunday on the Island of La Grange Out was at the Art Institute, and I think it's mm-hmm. still there. But yeah. I, it is. Yeah, I Everybody mean, I is always posting it on Facebook when they go to Chicago. Well, <laughs> first of all, it's huge. Yeah, it's an enormous painting. But I mean, I saw that for years and years and years before I even thought about musical theater. When I was a jock and you know just doing all my things, and then to learn there was a musical about it, and it was it was just it was. It, it was earth shattering in a lot of ways for me. We recorded Sondheim Unplugged in the middle of an industry-wide shutdown. What convinced you, Phil, to produce the show? And then Lucia, what, what convinced you to decide to get on a stage in the middle of a pandemic and, uh, <laughs> well, and do a tape version of the show? Yeah, well, 54 could have asked anyone and they asked us and I was very uh, thankful for that. Um, I- Really, I'll, we have such dedicated fans. I mean, we, we really do. I never thought I'd be in a position to say we have fans, but we do. And, and they've missed us. And many of them come every month. And uh, they have been sort of, you know, dehydrated from not having enough Sondheim. So I thought this would be a great way to, to do something for them. Um, and, uh, you know, just spread Sondheim's music in a way that might be global rather than uh, we, we do have international visitors, but this might be to a greater extent. We might reach people in Indonesia or China or wherever because there are Sondheim fans everywhere. For me, I, I mean, A, Phil asked me and anything Phil asks me to do, Aww. I do. And also Sondheim. <laughs> this is when I, when, when I started doing this show in 2011, I was doing another show at the time that uh, Silence the Musical, which was like very difficult and draining. I want to tell you that I saw Silence the Musical and that I have never laughed so hard in a theater in my life. It was brilliant. Yeah, it's... And I'm not a comedy girl, but I had tears coming down my face. Yeah. it's it it's it's remarkable. It's a really really brilliant piece, and Christopher Gatelli massaged the hell out of it, and just it it was so great. But it's can we like, tell for our audience oh, what it was? The people who uh, it is a parody musical of uh, the movie Silence of the Lambs. Um, so just <laughs> that's enough. I I think uh, I'm for just most laughing people. thinking about the sheep. Oh, the sheep. Out. Yes, we had. Um, <laughs> there was like a Greek chorus of of sheep. Uh, our hooves were white um, dish towels attached to <laughs> black plastic spray paint caps. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was a ride. It was a ride, but the polar opposite of Sondheim. So it was such a a tonic to come and be asked by Phil to come and do the show. And since then it's like my, my world revolves around the last Sunday of every month at 54 below. It's like, I always know like, that's where I'm going to be. You know, it's like, if I don't know what's going on in the near future, I do know that the last Sunday of the month is Sondheim Unplugged, you know? And um, it's just, 
it's been such a kick in the pants to do it and to not to not have done it did we do it in february phil yes um did we do it well our last show was in february yeah it was yeah so i mean since february it's just like you know the fans are 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 dying for it of thirst for it and you know Oh, you said dehydrated, Phil. Yeah. And I'm, I'm dehydrated for it too. So that was the first time I had performed, uh, quote unquote for an audience, um, for this entire, entire time. It was, it was really thrilling. Oh, wow. I think that's true of most of the singers, actually. They all, they yeah. all texted me before the stage and were like, oh my gosh, I haven't sung on a stage since March or whatever. Yeah. So, Phil, tell us about the cast and why you wanted this particular group. For this show, well, they all have a history with the show. They've all done it many, many times. Um, and I, you know, I have this old adage that is, I don't want to work with anyone with whom I don't want to have lunch. Um, I want to have lunch with all of these people. They're just, they're, they're, they're great people. They get it. They do their homework. They come in prepared, and they're just phenomenal, phenomenal vocalists. So, you know, we're we're blessed that we have a, an enormous company of people uh, to choose from, and um, and these these six are are among them, and uh, I'm very grateful to them. Lucia, what is, uh, do you have a, a favorite Sondheim song that you like to perform? Oh, that's like asking somebody to pick their favorite child. I, I'll say The Boy From only because I've, it's a song that long before I came to Sondheim Unplugged, I had been singing. And uh, through doing it at Sondheim Unplugged, I kind of found my own version and found my own place in it and it's uh I think it's very unique to me and I really do enjoy doing that um but it's 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 really hard because you know I I like to belt my face off too I like to sing pretty I like to be angry all the things Mm -hmm. (laughs) she has her own take on a on a song that most Sondheim fans have heard, not all, but some. Um, and, and you know, there are recordings out there by Linda Lavin and Faith Prince, but Lucia has her own very unique take on it. And we actually recorded it for the Sondheim Unplugged cast album, which is going to come out next year. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. What do you think is the most, what, first of all, what's your favorite thing about performing Sondheim? And then what, what do you think is the most challenging? They might be one and the same thing in a lot of ways. Uh, my favorite thing about performing Sondheim, I mean, you can say this of all performing, but especially Sondheim is that because, especially because Sondheim is so specific, both in rhythm and um, intonation and style and lyrics and everything, uh, you really, really, really have to be present. And you can't just like go, yeah, I got this, fellas. Let me uh, clock this out and go. You can't do that. You have to be aware and in it all the time. So that um, usually brings about a lot of spontaneity and a very specific, unique performance every single time you do it. It's just, it's one of those things. The second you're like, oh, I got this song. Yeah, yeah, I know this. You don't. So that is the brilliance of it. It's my favorite thing about it because I, I, don't like to have things too 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 set uh when I perform I like to have a little bit of flexibility but uh that's also the challenge of it is to have that sort of concentration and focus and yet be free for an audience and in front of them yeah it's tough right because it's technically you have to land it in certain ways and it has to be there 
but you yes. also wanted to feel spontaneous. Yes. And and one can say that of all performing, if if we're going to be, you know, real about it, that's for sure. But Sondheim, more than any other composer that I've sung, except for maybe some Bernstein, I never, ever, 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 well, I rarely alter anything that I do. I always sing from the score unless I'm doing a different arrangement. But you cannot, the second you change something that Sondheim put on the page, it alters everything. It's like a big snowball effect. So that's, it's, that's what's different about it more than anything else, because you, you decide to improvise or do something else, you know, pick a different note and you're going to be screwed uh, when you come back to that key change two beats later. Yeah. It's just my favorite because it makes me do everything all at once. Phil, when you were putting together this show, what was, what were you thinking in terms of the lineup and what you wanted to include for the at-home audiences? Oh, well, when I was putting together the show, I just wanted to share Sondheim's work and I wanted it to be unlike other Sondheim shows. You know, lots of people have done Sondheim shows, but they're usually not group shows. It's usually like, you know, Suzanne Smith from Albuquerque sings an evening of Sondheim or, or there's the women of Sondheim. You're usually solo shows, right? So I wanted to do a group show and I wanted it to be diverse. I wanted to show up lots of different kinds of voices, male voices, female voices, all kinds of, you know, different uh, different people and, and different takes on, on this music. Because how many people have sung Losing My Mind, for example, over the 10 years? Lots of people, but no, no, no knows who have been alike. Uh, so that was something I wanted to do. And I really wanted to share Sondheim's story because it's something that I happen to know a lot about because I've done a lot of reading over the years. You know, I think he keeps his distance from me because he might think I'm a little stalkery. Um, but, uh, no. <laughs> I wanted, you know, he came to the club once, just a sidebar. He came to the club to see Joanna Gleason and we were all very excited, of course. And I never met him I had emailed uh, with him but I'd never met him in person and um I went up to his table um to shyly introduce myself and I knew his, <laughs> his companion and um I said hello Mr. Sondheim thank you for coming to the show my name is Bill Jeffrey Bond and I host a little show called Sondheim Unplugged and, and he cut me off and he said Phil Jeffrey Bond I know all about it <laughs> <laughs> okay so then I thought wouldn't it be great if I got a picture with Sondheim because so many of my friends have pictures with Sondheim so I brought my camera and um before I you know god I don't know if it was before iPhones or whatever it was probably not but I'm a little backwards technically um so I brought a camera <laughs> as he was leaving he looked at me and he said um good show Phil or thanks for coming or something like that and I was like Mr. Sondheim would you mind taking a photograph with me and he goes it's not something I like to do I'm sorry and he turned away and walked out and I felt like such <laughs> And I talked to Chip Zion was in the Joanna show and I said, brother just dissed me and he wouldn't take a picture with me. If he does that to everyone, don't take it personally. So, um, anyway, what was the question? I'm sorry. Uh, I told you about construct. Oh, this show, uh, the, the lineup for this show. We did a lot of Sondheim um, classics for this one. This is, who knows, we may be asked to, to do it again. And uh, one of the things I like about the show when we do it in New York is we really do some more obscure material. Uh, but for this, I really wanted to get some of the big ones out there. So we do some of Follies and we do um, Company and we do, oh, gosh, I have the set list here somewhere. Um, we do Sunday. a lot of, we do Sunday in the Park with George. Yeah, uh, we do some Merrily We Roll Along. So we do some songs that are that are mostly familiar with a few things that uh, you might not know from uh, maybe Dick Tracy. You're not familiar with some of that stuff. Uh, but most of them are, are the big Sondheim chestnuts for this one. I can't wait. Sounds amazing. Lucia, what was the most surprising thing you found out about Sondheim from doing these shows and listening to Phil do his narrative? Oh, oh, so many things. I don't know if they're specific to Sondheim, but 
you know, Phil has such great tales that he tells. And sometimes the special guests who were original cast members have fantastic chestnuts of, of stories and things. But I think my favorite, uh, well, I've, I I have two and Phil will tell this better than I will. But I guess at the end of one of the out of town tryouts of anyone can whistle, somebody walked up to the orchestra pit and just put both thumbs down in front of the conductor and walked away. And just that image is is hilarious. And if you've ever done the show, which is rare or seen the show, which is rare, um, you understand why I, I I did do it um, at the Ravinia festival in Chicago. And I mean, talk about absurd, absurd. <laughs> so you know, having that relationship with the show and then understanding, then listening to that story is just like, it's just the best image. And the way Phil presents Harvey, it is very funny. When we had Harvey Evans from the original company of anyone can whistle, he verified that story. And he said, um, I the name of the person in the cast. He saw the guy with his doing his thumbs down. And as he took his bow, he raised his middle finger as high in the air as he could. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, you know, it's, it's so funny because Sondheim has set such a high bar so that everybody expects a masterpiece every single time. And so, you know, you know, just people get disappointed when they see maybe some of the lesser known shows and they're not, they're not Sunday in the park with George because not everything can be Sunday in the park with George. No. He's so diverse. I mean, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah. That next to forum, you know, there's such completely different musicals and, and he's capable of working with such a, a wide array of collaborators. And most of them yes. are not a lot like each other. You know, Don Weidman is not like James Lapine, who's mm-hmm. not like George Firth, who's not like, you know, Sondheim has said that he's very much led by his playwright. You know, he, he they sort of take the rein and he comes in and, and fills in the music. I don't know if that's true on every project or not, but that is something that, that he has said. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, you know, people say, oh, that's a Sondheim thing or so Sondheim. And yes, he does have some tonal and melodic things that you would expect. They're very, I don't say expect, that are very signature, let's say. Um, But his, I think that's why it's so hard for a lot of people to pick a favorite Sondheim show because they're all so different and so unique and so surprising in each of their ways. It's, it's. That's one of the reasons I'm never bored by him. I can slay a dragon any old week. Easy. Do you think, just in terms of performing Sondheim, is there that you need special training, or are there techniques that you would recommend for young performers who are looking to master the art of performing Sondheim's music? I I don't as as far as singing. No, except that you need a really good ear and you need to be very disciplined about learning the music in the way that it was written, because it's more that so than any other composer I've worked on. It's it's really there for a reason. You know, if it's a half step here and uh, going to a minor something somewhere else that just seems chaotic in your brain, I guarantee you that once you step back and oh my gosh, look at the painting as a whole. (laughs) You're going to understand why. But I think the biggest skill you need is to, and this also sounds a little cheesy, but you, you really have to learn to be a storyteller and understand the structure of a story and the structure of a song. There was this fascinating, um, and Phil, you, maybe you can 
I think you know it too. Like I remember seeing it on Bravo's like, inside the actor studio and then they showed it right after this. It's after the, that episode and it's Sondheim doing a masterclass with some kids in London and he takes actors, people who don't sing, musical theater people and opera people and has them all do his material. It's fascinating to see how he coaches each of them, but to see how approachable it is either way. A lot of what Sondheim does, especially in his patter songs, is he writes speech patterns. So when I say, hey, how are you? Most people say, hey, how are you? In those exact pitches and frequency and rhythms. And Mm -hmm. he gives them note values and rhythm values. And once you lean into that, you're like, oh, that's just like how I would say this to somebody else as opposed to going, oh, this note and this note and this note and this crazy interval. Um, So if you can focus in on making it like a a monologue, everything will make a lot more sense. Yeah, Emma said that, you know, the best um, playwrights have all been actors. And he says, you know, composers as well. If you're able to infuse yourself, if you're able to get inside the head of Surratt or Sweeney Todd, um, as know, he says, he does. You, yeah, if there's something of you that knows something about this. You're gonna, you're, you're gonna have an inside, uh, an inside approach. And I think people often think about Sondheim as being very dark because he wrote, you know, Sweeney Todd, and he, there were dark aspects of Into the Woods, and, and and many of his shows have dark aspects. The man is really funny. I mean, he's just a really funny, funny writer, and I think people forget that. And even when they sing his funny songs, sometimes I think they forget that because they think they have to do it like Sondheim song. Um, but you know, lovely from Farm is a hilarious song, and 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 people I think often miss the, the jokes. I saw a production of it uh-huh. recently, and I was so disappointed because I they didn't understand that it was farcical, that it was humorous, it was funny. And I sat there thinking, what have they done to this beautiful? They just ran over every single joke, and the script is littered with them, both in the songs and the book. Um, so yeah, have have a sense of humor if you're going to sing Sondheim. I think. Well, and that's part of understanding what's on the page. Look at the lyric, you know, would you say that it might look dark, but does the music do something funny? There's your clue. If you haven't figured it out just from the words on the page, yep. when you go to the score, you'll know what to do. That's, that's my favorite part of singing Sondheim because <laughs> it sounds a little lazy, but it's not because you have to study really hard to understand this, but he does all the work for you. I don't need mm-hmm. to have subtext. I don't need to have, you know, a, a, a sense memory or anything or whatever. It's all there. There's never a question about anything. It's remarkable. Totally, totally agree. Phil, so it's been 10 years. You're still doing the show. So what keeps you doing the show? What is the next uh, step in the evolution of the show? Uh, You know, any big plans? I know you mentioned the cast album. You mentioned London. Now you're recording this for worldwide audiences. Uh, how much more can you do with the show and how, when do you think you'll stop hosting the show and producing the show? Yeah, I've always always said that I'll stop doing the show and people stop coming. And, um, you know, thankfully that hasn't happened yet. Uh, We have a very loyal audience that continues to expand and I'm very grateful for that. And I love sharing Sondheim's work and, and I love that I get to work with these amazing vocalists who come in and, and do the show for us. I mean, I happen to be in the position of knowing the best singers in New York um, from Broadway and Cabaret, and I get to show them off, and I, I love that, and it's, uh, it's something that I enjoy very much. As to the future, yeah, there's going to be, there'll be a series of cast recordings coming out on Yellow Sound Label. I had the idea of doing a cast recording during the pandemic, 
And uh, I started making a list of all the things I wanted to record, and it was, you know, 100 songs and 100 vocals. <laughs> so I thought, we can't just do one. We'll make it a double CD, but that's only like 30 or 40 songs. So we're going to record over 100 songs. And we, wow. we with uh, our Yellow Sound label, uh, taking us on bravely. So we've gone into the studio. Unfortunately, they shut down two weeks ago, uh, you know, due to the rising cases. But we're going to be back, and we're editing. So look for at least the first one to come out next year. we got some really good stuff. Um, some really great special guests, so that's uh, that's really exciting. And and now, of course, we filmed Sondheim Unplugged the movie, so I can't wait to see that on the twenty fifth of December. You know, it's it's before we wrap up. I do want to say that we just working at Fine Sense Fifty Four Below and watching shows every night. I just take for granted the amount of talent that we have. But hearing from people who are watching our recordings or are watching our YouTube channels always reminds me how blessed we are you know with this concentration of talent that comes to new york to work in the business and so we have such easy access to somebody like lucia and you can call and be like come be in my show tonight and you know it's just it's it's amazing but you know it's such a blessing and hearing from our fans all over the country and the world they don't always necessarily have access to broadway level talent and so they're really really grateful for anything we put out, even, you know, a YouTube video, um, they love it. And they, uh, you know, write to us and say, please more, more videos, more. So I think you're fitting that need with a hundred songs on your albums. Um, but also with, with what we're doing with 54 below premieres, providing accessibility to people at home who know us, but also the ones who maybe don't and help to expand the, uh, fan base a little bit. And- Absolutely. Well, it was an inspired idea and I'm really glad to be part of it. Fantastic. Well, Same thank here. you both so much for joining me today. Just to remind everybody, uh, so you can visit 54below.com slash Sondheim for more information. Again, thank you, Phil and Lucia, and we'll see yeah. you next time. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fine Signs 54 Below podcast. Sondheim Unplugged is available on demand through January 23rd. For details and purchase information, visit 54below.com slash Sondheim. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Gapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.